0: Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Today, um, we have for our consideration, the topic I've been given is building stronger homes. Um, You know, Uncle Mark mentioned last week that uh, having a, a married guy talking to singles may not be the most optimal thing. Well, It turns out that Zoom actually has a polling option so we could see, would you rather hear a married guy talk about single people or a guy who's been married less than two years try to talk about how to build a stronger marriage? So we didn't go that route, Um, mostly because what we have to say does not depend on the person. It depends on the Word of God and on His power. And hopefully today, uh, it's my prayer that through a study of God's Word, I can point you to His Word and his standard for homes and building stronger homes. The text we've read most days begins in Psalm chapter 127, verses 1 and 2. Let's read this together. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to go to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, For he gives to his beloved sheep. Here, as we think about the question of building stronger homes and stronger marriages and stronger lives in whatever station we're in, the thing we need to realize is that God is the builder of homes, that it does not depend on us. That if we want to have a strong home, we can't do it on our own agenda or with our own mindset. You know, sometimes we may have a tool, for example. You know, sometimes I've I had a pair of loppers that I had to, for trimming trees. And uh, in my youthful exuberance, I decided to use them as bolt cutters. And I have a bolt that is still there and loppers that don't work. Because sometimes what we do is we look at something and we say, I like that thing, and then we don't use it according to the purpose that it's intended for. If we want to have homes that are built after God, we've got to have God's purposes. And notice also what it says here. It says that it's vain for you to rise up early. No matter how much we might get up and try and and toil and do whatever to build our homes, unless God is building it, we don't have any hope. So the question we have today is how do we allow God to build our home? What part do we play in that? Do we just sit back passively and say, okay, God, handle it? Or do we have some role to play? And I would submit to you that as we allow God to build our home and to do it in a God-pleasing way, we definitely have a role and a responsibility to keep. I want to look particularly at three things that I think are going to help us. The first thing we see is uh, we need to have a godly attitude. We need to have God's attitude about our homes and about the Purpose of our homes. Notice what it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So here we see as people of God, we're called to submit our lives to God in worship. And what does he say here? To not be conformed to this world, to not seek a worldly pattern, but to be transformed. How? By the renewing of our mind. As Christians, we need to have a different attitude about every aspect of life. We need to have a different attitude about the way we approach anything we do, whether it be work or home. And so if we want to have a godly home, we need to have God's attitude about our home. Think about what you hear in the world today. You hear people talking about that, that home and marriage is not good, that it's just a way to be tied down. Let's notice what's said in, in the very beginning. In the book of Genesis, when God creates the world, it says that God saw the light and that it was good. And he continues on through the days of creation that God looks out over all creation and says that what he made was good. And as we're reading along in the book of Genesis, everything is good, and this is good, and this is good, and this is good. But when we come to Genesis chapter 2, we read that the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Out of all the creating and in the midst of all the creating that God did, the first thing that wasn't good was a dude by himself. Which, as a dude who's been by himself, I can tell you, it's not good. (laughs) There's a lot of trouble that can come from that. And God wanted to create a helper fit for him. Now, as Uncle Mark talked about last week, there's a gift and there's a blessing and there's an opportunity in singleness, and I don't want to disparage that at all. That in the midst of of not having a family, of being on our own, we're in a position uniquely suited to serve God that is completely different. But marriage is good. Marriage is very, very good. And so, as we look to what the world says, we need to keep this in mind. Because the world tells us that, well, you don't want to get married, you'll just be tied down. It's not really good, you just got to live with this person, and all these bad things could happen, and you don't get to be free and make your own choices. You know, in the the world today, we have these um, bachelor and bachelorette parties, which are not bad in and of themselves, but a lot of times people take them to go do a bunch of godless debauchery, because the idea in the world is, whenever you're single, you can have a ton of fun. But whenever you get married, all your fun is over for the rest of your life. And we may not think that in those words, but it can influence our thinking. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Guys, marriage is good. And let's not allow the world's perspective to get a hold of us on that, to deceive us into thinking that it's not good. A lot of times, though, it's not just the world that does this. It's our own relationships that can cause us to think that it's not good. In the midst of strife and and disagreement, we can lose this God-centered attitude. We can lose the idea that marriage is a blessing. And we can begin to look at our spouse as an enemy, as just something holding us back. If we want to have a marriage that pleases God, we have to have God's attitude towards marriage. Colossians chapter three nineteen says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. We need to continue to have love no matter the circumstance and not allow the ungodly attitude of thinking negatively of our spouse to cause us to be harsh with them. The next thing we see is a godly attitude towards children. Psalm 127 verses 3 through 5 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb are a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemy in the gates. Children are a blessing. Children are a great blessing. And a lot of times in the world we think of children as just something to be managed and, and that get in the way. And once again will hold you back even more than getting married will. We need to have God's attitude towards children. We need to realize that they are a blessing. And there's one particular way in which I want to think about how these things come together. About thinking about marriage and and children or whatever state we're in. And that's the way that we speak. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 verses 33 through 37. I don't have this slide up here. But he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He asks, can a a tree produce good fruit if it's a bad tree? Or uh, in other places, it talks about how a stream producing a different kind of water than its source is. In Matthew chapter 12, what Jesus is saying is, what we talk about really reveals what's in our hearts. And so I want to ask you very point-blankly is, what does your speech say about what you believe about your home, about the state that God has put you in in this time in your life? Because a lot of times we use words for marriage like, well, I've got to go back and put up with my spouse. I've got the old ball and chain. These kids, you know, between the the, the, the teething and the changing and the tantrums and the terrible twos and, the, and the, the terrible threes and the fives and the preteens and everything. It's just so bad, and all we do is complain. And friends, I want to tell you, one of the first places a strong home is built is in your mind and in your speech. I know that we talk and we joke with people in the world about these sorts of things. Don't do that. Let the words that come from your mouth about your home be positive. Let the world know that you believe God and show your faith in this manner. Don't allow your speech to become um, critical and to only speak bad about your home to other people. But to truly represent the best of what God has to say in this regard. So we need to have a godly attitude in marriage. That's the first thing we want to see. The second thing we want to see is seeking counsel. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, a very important passage is given where Paul says to Timothy, The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And the principle given here is that Paul told Timothy things and there were other people around, and Timothy was supposed to go tell those to other people, and they would tell others also. And that tradition and that teaching has carried down to us today. That part of the way the doctrine of Christianity and Christian lifestyle is passed down is through discipleship and mentorship. When we sign up to be a Christian, we sign up to be mentored. We sign up for people to give us advice. And in particular, we see this in one place in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 says, The older women likewise that they should be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Now here's what it says. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. This is giving us an example of what older women should behave like. But one of the things it says is that older women are supposed to be teachers of good things, and that they should teach young men and—excuse me, they should teach young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Now, as we've seen earlier, the Christian life is is one of mentorship, of discipleship. So while this passage is specifically speaking about um, women to teach—older women teaching younger women— There's wisdom found in in younger men being taught by older men. And so we should realize that we can't do this alone. We need help. We need insight from people who've done this before and have done this with success. As you think about the qualifications of elders and deacons and their wives, one of the things you see is some success in this regard of being examples and being able to teach. And sometimes people don't like this very much. I had a friend tell me a story that he was at a church one time and he happened to just be kind of observing. As he was observing, he saw a, a sweet older lady come up to a, a couple of younger ladies and and took one of them on the shoulder and said, "You know, sister, I I have some concerns about this about what's going on with your child. And and we love you and we we want to to help you with that and I think you might try this." And the young lady Nodded and smiled, and when the when the lady left, the the young lady proceeded to roll her eyes and say, "Who does she think she is giving me advice?" Well, in that case, it was a Titus two woman trying to fulfill her role. And so we as people, we need to seek and accept godly counsel. Notice what it says in Proverbs chapter twelve fifteen. I may not have this reference here. Um, Proverbs chapter 11 says, the way of fools is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. A lot of times we think we've got it all figured out. Proverbs chapter 12 talks about whoever listens to advice is wise. Whenever someone thinks enough of us to go out of their way to give us some advice, we should be at least willing to listen to it. We should be at least willing to weigh that in light of the Word of God to see if it be found to be true. I want to look quickly now at at two ways or two reasons why we don't take advice, why we don't seek counsel. One of them, as we see, is the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. We know this. We know that whenever you want to get something done well, you should ask a lot of people and get a lot of insight. But we don't do it. So why is that? Well, I think one reason we do that is we want to do things our way. We want to do our marriage the way we decide to. We want to pick it, and we want the credit for doing it. We're going to do our kids this way, and we're going to do it different so we can do it different, and so that we can do it our way, so that ultimately we can receive the credit. And rather than submitting to God's way and the advice of other people, we simply allow ourselves to be drawn into the trap of thinking that I can get it done my way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, I don't have this on the slides, but Paul talks about how they went through various troubles so that they might learn to trust not in themselves, but in God. That's 2 Corinthians 1, 9. And a lot of times what happens is we're really headstrong, and we think we're going to do it our way no matter what. And then something happens that we can't handle. Maybe in the particular case of raising our children or in our marriages. We realize, I can't do this alone. And so we seek the Lord and we seek his way. And part of that involves godly advice. Rather than going through all the pain and frustrations of errors and mistakes, let's just do this on the front side. Let's save ourselves the trouble and heartache and grief that comes from doing it our way and submit to God and his plan for discipleship. The other thing I want to see is is an example of why we don't seek advice. It's because sometimes we want to keep up appearances. You know, if you look at social media, you can look at Instagram or you can look at Facebook and a lot of times what you'll see is snapshots of the perfect home. And everything is just right. Even in their places where they tag and say, "Man, this was a tough day, but it's all right and it's all good, but it was tough." Their pictures are still perfect. And we can look at that as the standard as what the what perfection is is to look perfect for a small window of time. And we don't want to appear that we have faults. Notice what it says in John chapter 3:20. It says Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. One of the reasons we don't ask for advice and and show people our mess is because we don't want to look bad. It's because we are ashamed. And oftentimes in our homes, that's where our faults are most clearly seen in the way we relate to our our parents, the way we relate to our children or to our spouse. A lot of times where the seams in in our Christian behavior is become really apparent in those cases, and we don't want everybody else to see that mess. And rather than seeking the blessings of God, we would rather pretend to have it all together for, for three hours a week rather than To see the blessing that comes from being vulnerable. If maybe you're struggling with that, the keeping up appearances and trying to appear perfect. If I can give you something that I think will ease your mind, if you're worried about people thinking you're perfect, they don't. No one thinks you're perfect. Okay? In this congregation, we have a lot of great, loving people who see the best in people. And we see value in you, and and I see value in you. And we think that with God's help, you can do great things. But we don't think you're perfect. And so rather than pretending to keep up some facade that's not fooling any of us, submit to the righteousness and the plan of God. Seek older people who've been married longer, who've raised kids, who've been in the station of life that you have, that have done it in righteousness, and ask for their help. We can't ignore the advice that God has given us and claim the benefits that he promises. We've got to pick one or the other. If we want the blessings of God, we have to go through the difficulty that that The last thing I want to talk about for a moment um, is because in a sermon like this, what are you gonna say? Obviously, I've got limited experience. I've been married coming up on on two years in about a week, very excited for that. How can we how can someone begin to give advice that's helpful? You know, if you look at just the age is part of the problem, but also every relationship is a little bit different. For those of you who are familiar with Myers-Briggs personality types, I'm not necessarily endorsing those, but they claim that there are 16 different personality types, or they group them in 16 different ways. Which, if we look at that, that means there's 120 possible relationship dynamics and 256 if you include gender roles. So there's so many different things how this is going to look. So how is it that we as people... How, how can we see what God has to say to all of us together when there's so much difference? When there's introverts and extroverts and people who think more and people who feel more. What I would submit and what I'd like to do is to give a heuristic that I believe all of us can look at. That we can all look to no matter our, our personality or our struggles that are going to help us understand in a situation, how do we build a stronger home? How do we build a home that's after God? Ephesians 5, 25-27 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but but that she should be holy and without blemish. Look at the example that husbands are given. The example that husbands are given is to love their wives just like Christ loved the church and sacrificed for her. This kind of love that is concerned about the holiness of the other party. This kind of love that's willing to lay down its life and die so that someone could have a closer relationship with God. That's the standard. As we look to the standard of husbands, the standard for husbands' behavior is to be like Christ and to be like his sacrifice. Let's look at wives for a moment now. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe their chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Now, what is this saying here? This is an example for the wives. You notice I've highlighted the word likewise. That goes back to 1 Peter 2, which we'll look at in a second. And here it's comparing how the wife is supposed to behave. And the wife is supposed to act towards her husband with a love that worries about his soul. Notice back in, in Ephesians chapter 5, the husband is supposed to be moved with Christ-like compassion for the soul of his wife. Similarly, wives are supposed to be moved with Christ-like compassion for the soul of their husband, that they may be won by their conduct. Now, what's this likewise here in 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2? The likewise in 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 goes back to 1 Peter 2. 21 to 24, it says, "For to this were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in His steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth. Who when He was reviled did not revile in return. When He suffered did not threaten, but committed Himself to Him who judges righteously. Who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed." If we look back in First Peter 3, this is the likewise. The likewise submission that, that women are called to is the submission of Christ to God. The fact that, God, that Christ was willing to put aside his own desires and suffer so that the world might be saved. And so if we put this, put this together and then do an example, whenever I talk about gospel-centered, or redemption-centered, or a Jesus-centered home, we notice that we've got the husband-sacrificial leadership as the example in Ephesians 5. And we've got the wife's submission in 1 Peter chapter 3. But what are both of those things seen in light of? They're both a reflection of Christ's sacrifice and Christ's submission. Now listen here. This is important. When we look to the purpose of our home, one of God's design for the home is that it would be a shining beacon of the light of the gospel. That when people look at the way that we interact as spouses or as as children, to parents, and so on and so forth, that through that we would proclaim the redemption that we have in Christ. That the actions we choose would echo that so that people can't help but say there's something different here. That the way the husband behaves is with such a sacrifice and such a love that it resembles what Christ has done. And the wife would would submit in a similar way as a reflection of Christ. And so as we think about building godliness in our homes, the call that we have, whenever we come to any situation, whatever decision we have to make is how can we take this physical decision and shine the light of the gospel through our choice here. With that, this changes everything. And with it, we have a framework and decision-making process to help us. I want to give two examples real quickly, two examples to understand this. You know, one of the ideas that's given whenever we talk about, um, about loving is a, an idea in the world that's given is that, well, I'll love you because you help me. I'll love you because of fill-in-the-blank. I'll love you when you give me this. And essentially what we're doing is we're loving because someone else is, um, is willing to fulfill our needs. And that can transfer to a marriage relationship where we say, well, you won't do this, I won't do that. You aren't going to fulfill my need, I'm not going to fulfill your need. But notice what we see in the example of Christ. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did not love us and die for us because we were perfect and we met all of his needs. Christ loved us and died for us because he cared for us. He loved us and died for us because he saw that we could achieve our greatest potential and see our greatest blessing when he sacrificed. And so when we As spouses look to this, we need to have this kind of love that we don't expect perfection out of our spouse, but we believe that through the love of Christ that can be given through us, we can bring greater things and further call our spouse to godliness. What greater example is there of the gospel to be able to reach out to someone and to offer love to them as an imperfect person? To offer love not knowing if you're going to receive or not. Because when we offer that maybe that, that chance at forgiveness, that olive branch after a fight has happened, we don't know if we're going to be promised to receive reconciliation. But Christ wasn't promised reconciliation with all people. He just chose to love everyone and see what happens. And that's a powerful sacrifice, and I believe that's the sacrifice we're called to make in marriage. The final example I want to look at, uh, since it's it's Mother's Day, I'll, uh, I'll pick on the husbands a little bit here, um, give the guys something to work on. Just an example is of understanding. First Peter three verse seven says, "Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered." Now there's one thing that I've really learned in a couple of years, it's that women are different. And that's a good thing. Okay, let me be very clear. That's a great thing, and praise God for it. But sometimes that's not always the easiest thing. And you won't just see that as men trying to understand women, but women trying to, to understand men. But it seems like guys sometimes have a tough time understanding how women think and how this works. And what Peter's saying is, Guys, you've got to do your best. You've got to try. To try to sympathize and try to understand. You may say, well, there's no way I could go through all that she's ever gone through. Once again, the gospel helps us with this. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 4.15. It says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. You know, there's certain things that Jesus actually did not experience that we experience today. For example, he didn't experience his cell phone screen cracking. He didn't experience his car not starting. He didn't experience the shame of having committed a sin. But he can still sympathize with us. He can still seek to understand us. And part of the reason he left heaven was so that he could understand us, so that he wouldn't act from as a high priest from on high that was far off and not understanding but rather that he could enter into our suffering and sympathize with us in this way. Guys, there's things that our, our wives go through that we do not experience. Things that are just different. That doesn't mean we have a free license to just ignore it and say, well, I'll never understand. Because Christ spared no expense so that he could understand and sympathize with us. This is just two examples of the ways that the gospel can permeate our lives, that we can show the light of the gospel in what we do and spread the love that God has for us and direct that to our spouse so that the world can see a shining beacon of hope. These are just two examples. Think for yourself about the rest of them. As you come to a situation, think about how could we display the love of Christ in this situation. Think about it in, in terms of children relationships, or anything we haven't talked about today. As we close, I want to consider our text for today. Psalm 127, 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain for you to rise up early and to go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil for he gives to his beloved sheep. God has promised us life and blessing. But if we seek it on our own terms, we are destined for failure. So let me ask you today, do you have the mind of God? Do you have the mind of Christ about your marriage about your home about your children do you believe that that it's truly a blessing do you believe that children and your family are a blessing does your speech need to be changed do you need to modify the way that you talk to your family and to others about your family? Are you shining the light of the gospel in what you do? Are you seeking to show the glory of Christ and his love in every action that you take? If you're like me, the answer is probably no. The answer is probably, I've got some work to do. Maybe you're in a position where you need help. Maybe you're in a position where you've never asked for help. Maybe this is the time that you put aside your pride and text someone, an older, an older guy or an older lady or someone you trust who has a good reputation of godly character. Now is the time. Thank you so much for your attention today. It has been a blessing to, to study with you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.